good morning, friends. My name is Catherine. As has already been stated, I am a resident at Heirloom East Bay, which is a Nazarene community church and farm in Castro Valley. I'm also a minister with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, serving college students in the East Bay area. And another fun fact about me is I am definitely also a science nerd. So you'll hear more of that later. I got my degree in physics and math and theology were my other two focuses. Uh, but this morning, something I'm gonna talk about is creation and we're looking at it through the lens of King Solomon. So King Solomon is the son of David. He is known for his wisdom. He's attributed many proverbs. He's attributed um, this story about two women fighting over a baby and he talks about cutting the baby in half to uh, basically determine who is the mother. It's this whole thing. If you don't know that, don't worry about it. Just famous little pieces of Solomon. But the thing that I enjoy about Solomon is that at this point in his story, he has recently become king, and he's decided to build a temple, a gathering space in the city of Jerusalem. He's trying to rebuild the city. And he focuses on creation in a way that I think is really beautiful and really spoke to me when I was a student studying STEM, trying to figure out where my place in God's story was. So I'm gonna pray for us, and then I'm gonna open God's word this morning, and I ask that you pray with me. But uh, God, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for ways in which you can speak to us and be present to us. And so God, I ask that your presence be with us this morning, and I just thank you for another beautiful day. And thank you for the ways that you are present in creation and the ways that you love us. And call us to be who we are called to be. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay. Awesome. So, Second Chronicles opens up. Um, this is chapter 2. Not the most riveting of books in the Bible. I will give you a fair warning. Should you be inspired to read Second Chronicles after today, the rest of it is not the most exciting. Um, but Solomon sent a message to Hiram, king of Tyre. Send me cedar logs as you did for my father David when you sent him cedar to build a palace to live in. Now I am about to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God and to dedicate it to him. The temple I'm going to build will be great because our God is greater than all other gods. But who is able to build a temple for him? Since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him. Who then am I to build a temple for him, except as a place to burn sacrifices before him? And at first glance, this passage looks like it's just one king talking to another king, asking him to help him build a temple. And that's true. But if we dive a little bit deeper, we see that Solomon is actually putting forward a theology of creation and how creation works and how people work in creation with God's creation. And I see this as having three pieces. We'll walk through each of them. And the first one I look at is God as creator cannot be contained within creation. Solomon says that the temple is great because our God is greater, but the heavens cannot contain him. So there is no temple that Solomon can build that would actually enclose all of who God is. This is an important note for Solomon to be making because of previous people who have tried to build things to 
contain God or reach God or be greater than God. Solomon is recognizing in an act of humility that no matter what he does, God is always going to be bigger than the thing that he builds. But he's also recognizing that that thing that he is building still should give reverence and exalt God for God's greatness. He is trusting that God is great, and he is recognizing that, but he is also saying, I want to build a place for God to dwell. This humble recognition that anything he builds is going to be too small for God, that anything he builds is going to be not enough, reminds me of a story that I heard as a kid uh, from one of my local rabbis. Fun fact, the church I went to also hosted a Jewish synagogue. It was a whole funky situation. But I heard this story from a rabbi that I really love and is actually very popular with a lot of rabbis about a kid who's given a box. And that box holds God. And he's asked, hey, if you get this box and this box holds God, what will you do with it? And the kid answers the rabbi and says, oh, rabbi, I would open up the box and share God with all my friends. And so I think of Solomon building this temple, and I think of this kid holding this box, and the ways in which we try to use our creation sometimes to contain who God is. We like to contain God's image into an image that is nice to us, that we are recognizing, that we feel comfortable with. Whether that is an image that dwells in the ways we politically lean, and an image that dwells in the ways that we think about power in our lives, even an image that reduces the shame that we feel personally. Putting God in a box is not an easy thing to do, actually, but it's an easy thing to do in our brains. Ah. And it makes it so that we don't have to admit God is greater because we don't want to trust that God is greater and trust that God is actually the one in control. We put God in boxes and in temples and even in the walls of a church and confine who God is by saying that we don't want to trust in who God is because we want to have control. Uh, I am very familiar with this. I do it all the time. I'm not great at it. I'm still learning how to be better at it. But part of the thing that's been pushing me in this past year is through my ministry with InterVarsity, I am in a fully support-raised, fund-raised position, which means that I had to admit to myself that God was in control of my finances, which was scary, insanely scary, and still is scary to me to this day. But the moments that I try to regain that control and I try to push back by saying, no, I'll just take on a bunch of side jobs, or no, I will do this thing, or I will be in charge of this and this is my responsibility, and God... I've got this one, don't worry about me, is putting God into this little box. This little box that's meant to be opened, that's meant to be shared, that's meant to be created, not as a place to contain God, but as a place for God to dwell. And so before we go into this little next song, I'm going to offer us a moment of reflection of what boxes are you trying to fit God into this morning? What ways are you asking God to lose control of your life and let you be in control? Or where do you need to recognize and trust in the greatness of a creator who is greater than anything we can build? Say those again. 
What box are you trying to fit God into that you need to open? And where do you need to recognize and trust in the greatness of a creator? Um, okay, so we've talked about God as creator not being contained within anything that we create. So Solomon's temple cannot be built big enough to contain who God is. But Solomon's temple is also a place where God is present. And I think this is important to note because we can say all sorts of things about things that we create cannot contain God. But God still dwells in places and is present with us. God is present in this room. God was present in the temple to Solomon and to the people that came to that temple. Otherwise, why build a temple, right? What's the point of this whole creation that's supposed to be great and big and point to God's greatness if it doesn't also show that God is present in that space? And so why Solomon is building this temple is because he's building it as a space of encounter. And he shows that to the king of Tyre and the way that he speaks about the temple and the way he speaks about the greatness of it. And his first priority is to build this temple. And I think that's something really beautiful. David, who came before him, his first priority was to build himself a dwelling place and then to build a temple. He was going to build his house first and then build the temple. And Solomon said, no, actually, I'm going to build the temple before I even ask people to build a place for me to live, because I think it's important for God to be in the center of the city that we are making and in the center of the space where people are gathering and where people are coming to be together. And so his main priority is this temple. And this next scripture that I'm going to present to you is actually one that kind of blew my mind as a student. And the reason why, as a college student, it made me question things and struggle with things is because it recognizes that Jesus is a creator. And that threw me off because when we think about creator, we usually talk about the father as the creator and then the son who comes after it. But Colossians chapter 1 actually speaks of Jesus as also a co-creator with God because Jesus is God. This translation is the First Nations version. It's something we've learned to use at Heirloom a lot. It flips some of the language around. And the reason why I chose it this morning is because the First Nations version uh, uses the name of Creator Sets Free for Jesus in following traditional Jewish naming practices and also traditional First Nations tribal naming practices to recognize the purpose of who Jesus was, that his name contained something more than just a standard name, but also contained a meaning to it. And so Colossians 1, verse 15 through 16 says, Creator sets free, or Jesus, is the visible representation of our invisible creator. All that the Father has belongs to the Son. He has existed before creation and is above all created things. For it was in him that all things in the spirit world above and on the earth below were created. And in thinking about this verse in coinciding with this temple that Solomon is building, I think about the ways that Jesus came to dwell among us as a creator, right? That God chose to send his son to be among us and to be almighty and all-knowing and all above everything that can be contained in creation, but also to be fully this man, 
and how messy that is when you ask humanity to do something. I know you all met Sophie last week. Uh, she lives with me at Heirloom East Bay. She's one of my pastors. She has a toddler. Um, so if you were here a few years ago, you probably met her very pregnant. That child is now a toddler. And that child is Jet. Jet comes along to help out with dinner sometimes. And if you've ever cooked with a toddler, you know that help is <laughs> not exactly the word that we would necessarily use, right? And this week on Monday, I was making lentil soup for the house. And Jet came into the kitchen and was like, I want to be here because I want to help make dinner. Like he came early, begged his dad to come. And he stands up on his little stool next to the counter. And I have these like raw lentils that I'm going to need to pour into my soup. And this kid dives his hand straight into the middle and then eats some raw lentils. And I'm like, buddy, those aren't, aren't great for eating. Um, also not really helpful. But I still let Jet help me cook. Right? I still invite him along for that. I still invite him to bake cookies with me. And I like this image of cooking with Jet as also an image of the way that God invites us into creation. Because God did not invite humanity to create temples and churches and places for God to dwell because we are particularly great at it in the grand scheme of who God is. Right? I do not invite Jet to help me with dinner because he is a great, lovely cook. I invite him to create with me because it is beautiful to have someone to create with, and it is joyful to share that with, and it is amazing to watch him learn and grow and discover who people are and what they do and what they love by participating in it. And so I see God's invitation to Solomon to build this temple and the way that Solomon responds in the same vein, that we are responding to God's great and mightiness and his above all creation by acting with him and building places for him to dwell. Which brings me to my third point, and that's that creation is a witness and invite, invitation to relationship. Solomon uses this temple as a place for people to gather, for people to know God. And that's the invitation that God has for people at this temple in the building of it even. It's the invitation that God has to a toddler baking in the kitchen. Creation being a witness and invitation to a relationship doesn't just mean building temples, though. Some of us are called to more obvious creative things, like building a garden or making beautiful artwork, painting. I do some of those things, but I'm also not great at all of them. I live with some people who are like wonderful filmmakers and do all their things, and sometimes it's a bit overwhelming to say, oh, you are such a creative person and I see God in you in that way. But God also, I think, delights in the ways that we create in other ways, whether that is when you're making your code for your project and you put in the little line, I don't know why this works, but it does, and you put the little side note there. Um, and that's an act of creation and it's an act of joy and it's an act of recognizing where God is. And I think it's something that we can get better at in recognizing how God is present. But Solomon doesn't just stop his witness and invitation to re relationship with who he is and how he's going to witness God in the temple, but he's also extending it to someone else. 
Something that I think is really important for us to recognize is that the image of God is not just in a temple or in one person, but it's within all of us. Genesis chapter 1, if you bring up the slide, um, says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over all the livestock and the wild animals, over all the creatures that move on the ground. And what I love about this passage is the thought that God's image can dwell in each of us. That your coworker in creating their bacterial slides, that God's image can dwell in them in that act of creation. Your friend who paints beautiful, wonderful pieces of artwork, God's gift of creation can dwell in them. And that those can be spaces where God dwells, not just physical spaces for God to dwell, but those acts of creation can be something that God takes delight in and loves. And Solomon extended this invitation to a king who's a neighboring king. And the thing that's really important about knowing who Hiram is, this king of Tyre, is that he is not Jewish. This temple is built for the Jewish people, but he invites this king who is a Gentile, who by all means would believe in a different God at this time, to join in this work of creation and know who God is. And Hiram actually responds to that invitation in really lovely and beautiful ways, um, where he says that, uh, he, that he recognizes God's wisdom in Solomon, that he recognizes who God is, and that God must be great if someone is building such a great place for God to dwell. And I think that's a really beautiful way to think about the way we interact with other people around us, to share in creation with them, to share in that joy, to recognize that joy in them, and to look at the ways that God sees God's self in each of us. Something super nerdy, side note, fun facts, that I love as a physicist is the way that everything in this world can be described in some sense with waves. We can talk about light, we can talk about sound, we can talk about radio, we can talk about colors in waves. And my friends may be good at cooking, they may be good at painting, they may be good at woodworking, they may be wonderful biologists, I cannot do biology for the life of me. But what I love about waves is that they describe all sorts of different things and they're kind of like God's little gift to me to take a little peek into God's creation and God's love for creation and these patterns and things for me to discover and these ways in which I can dip my hand into the bowl of lentils and take a bite and figure out what that texture is. I can look at waves and think about how amazing it is that there is a God of the universe who made this mathematical way for me to understand things that involves imaginary numbers but describes real things and is kind of crazy, but that I love so deeply and helps me know who that creator is. And that that can be a way that I can help see God's image in myself. Because when I was a science student, I struggled with that because I had people who told me things like, oh, well, being in God's image means the ways you care for others, means the ways that you are creative, means the ways that you love. And it felt like I couldn't do that in a lab. It felt like I couldn't do that in a space like that. But recognizing that Jesus was a creator, that Jesus loved to create and to 
dwell and to know and to dive into these different things means that I can recognize that in my lab partner. It means that I can recognize that in my friend who's making a film. It means that I can recognize that God's creation extends to each one of us and it is an amazing, beautiful gift. That's what I think that Solomon got really right here. He said that God is so big, so big that he cannot be contained, but that God needed a place to dwell for us to encounter God and that that was a relationship that we could invite ourselves into but also invite others into. That creation is not a box in which we force God to fit, but it's a place that we find ourselves. It's a place that we find others, where we see the beauty of God and the place that we ask God to dwell. So that's my challenge to you this week. Whether you are making Play-Doh and Lego creations with a kid, or whether you are writing lines of code, or whether you are teaching, whatever that is for you, my challenge to you is to recognize how God could be in that act of creation. What does it mean for God to be excited about the ways that we create, to recognize and love that in you? How can you be attentive to God's presence when you create? And how have you seen the image of this creator reflected in the others around you, even if their creativity doesn't meet the standard box that you might want to put it into. So creation, it's a place for God to dwell. It cannot contain God, but it's a place for us to meet God. If you'll pray with me this morning real fast. Ah, God, I just thank you so much that you are a creator that knows things that I do not know because I could not handle being in charge of all that. But God, I thank you that you invite us into creation, that you invite us to discover and know who you are by creating alongside you. God, I thank you that you take delight in that and that even though it's something that doesn't make logical sense to me as someone who is messy and doesn't know as much as you do, that you still want to invite us along and God, I just ask that as we step into the world today, that you help us to see your image of creation in others, in the things that we see, in the things we make. And God, I just ask that you dwell in those spaces this week and that we can encounter you. I thank you, God, for your word this morning. And it's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that I pray. Amen.